0: Until last year, I had a friend uh, who lived in Tulsa that was part of the Secret Service. And uh, we would get together on occasion and have lunch and talk about life. And one of the things that – I didn't know anything about the Secret Service. One of the things I learned in talking to him is that the Secret Service was originally started to guard our national currency. It was, a, it, was a, it was an institution that was created to guard our national financial institution, which I thought was really interesting. But it actually started making sense of what he would say when, when I kind of said, well, what, is, what do you do from day to day, right? What does your work look like? And there would be an occasional kind of high-profile event where a politician would be in town or a few years ago Bernie Sanders stopped in for, I guess, last year for a crusade and things like that, Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera. But like, so there were those things on occasion, but really the day-to-day work of a secret service person, in Tulsa at least, was to guard against counterfeit money. They are the people that are in charge of counterfeiting and and pulling out counterfeit currency uh, from the circulation of money. And so he would talk about like a lot of their normal work was going to, along with the Uh, like the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, and things like that, to drug bust so they could go take the money and then go test it and see if it was counterfeit or not. It was pretty interesting. And I said, well, how, how do you know if it's counterfeit? And we might think that the way to know if something's counterfeit or if the money's counterfeit is that you study all the potential things about the counterfeit, right? You touch all these different counterfeit bills. But he said the way that you know if it's counterfeit is that you study the real thing in precision. You absolutely know everything about the real dollar bills so that when you see, touch, smell, all of it, you know what's real and what's fake. Pretty interesting. In this passage tonight that we're looking at, um, we get a picture of a counterfeit God, or counterfeit gods, uh, we could even say. And the focus of this passage for, for decades, hundreds of years, and probably longer than that, people get really into this and want to talk about the beasts and the 666 and what all this means. And we're going to talk about that stuff. And I, I mean, books and dissertations and all kinds of stuff have been written about the meaning of all this stuff. Right? And so there's, there's really no way that I'm going to stand up here for 30 minutes and, and kind of uh, survey the landscape of all that's been written and said about this. But this passage is... Kind of the quintessential passage in Revelation. This is the one that if, you, if people don't know anything else about the Bible or about this book, they know about the 666 and the beast and all that stuff. So we got to start asking, what is this? What is this? What's going on? All semester I've been saying that, that this book of Revelation is actually a letter that the Apostle John wrote to a group of churches at the end of the first century um, John was writing from an island off the off the coast of Rome. He was right off the coast of Asia Minor. Sorry, he was writing to the churches that were back on the mainland, and his message to them was this: Hold the line, keep the faith. I know that things are hard. I know that you're being persecuted. I know that your family members are being killed. But don't give up the fight. It's worth it. It's worth it. And so in this passage, when we read it, there's going to be a temptation for us to get caught up in the imagery, in the, in the scariness of it, and, and freak out about what is this mark of the 666, what does it mean? But friends, the message to John, uh, from John to those original readers is the same message to us. It's keep the faith, hold the line, things are hard, they'll probably get harder, but don't give up. Don't give up. Let's look at this. Revelation 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. John says this, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet... Did I already go for on there, Sorry, uh, Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast Look, it's, it's a frightening passage. It's a frightening passage. There's, there's stuff there that um, you could fixate on, you could get in the details of, and, and if you took it kind of on its own, it would, it would ruin your day, it would ruin your week, it might ruin your life. But this is a message of encouragement. This is a message of encouragement. This speaks to us. There's something in here for us. It's not just here to freak us out. And the way that we understand it is, we have to understand two major categories about it. It's really simple. We have to understand the counterfeit, and we have to understand the true. We have to look and see what's counterfeit, and we have to look and see what's true. So that's what we're going to do, the counterfeit. What about this is counterfeit? Uh, If you were here last week, Um, this will make sense. If you weren't, I'll try to give you enough info to make sense of it. Um, we record these every week. If you want to look on the podcast, it's on iTunes and elsewhere, RUF Tulsa. Um, but in revelation 12, the chapter before this, um, John had, had given this picture of a great war, which is happening in the world right now. And that war, as we saw is between the dragon who the passage itself says is this is the devil or Satan the war is a war between the dragon and the woman, and the woman, as we explained last week, is symbolic. Signifies the people of God throughout history, specifically the people of God since Jesus or the church. So you have Satan doing battle against God's people, the church, and this battle is playing out in real space and time in our world in all kinds of right, in all kinds of ways. In one of those ways that we talked about is that Satan tries to deceive. He's a deceiver. He's a master of deception. And I said it like this, that that if we think that the way that Satan's going to deceive us and get people to follow him is that, right, he's this long-haired, kind of gnarly-eyed dude who who rides through on a black Harley Davidson with red eyes and red horns, like, that's not what's going to happen. Because why? Why? That defies the very definition of, of deceiving. Deception is subtle. You don't, even, you don't know what's happening. It's going on and you kind of buy, are buying into it bit by bit. And before you know it, you've been swept up. So how does he deceive? What, what actually does that look like? This passage shows us the way that he deceives us is through a counterfeit Trinity. Satan poses as a counterfeit trinity. He wants to be God. And he's very, very upset that he can't be. But friends, he gets really close. And in this passage tonight, we see the second of the trinity. The second two members of that trinity. Last week we saw the first. It was the dragon. The dragon represents God the Father. The powerful one. The consummate power of this world. The two beasts that we see in this passage are God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Let's, let me show that to you. Look at first the first beast uh, beginning in verse 2. It says this, And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Makes sense, Right? What about that leopard and the bear and the lion? What's going on there? Well, again, as I've been saying all semester, in the book of Revelation, there's all these images. Some of them are crazy. Some of them are just like, it seems like they're LSD trips. But, but most, basically, almost all of these images are biblical images. And this passage is no different. It is no different. There's hundreds of illusions and images in the book of Revelation, and nearly all of them are from the Old Testament. Let's check this one out. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is a prophet in the Old Testament. And he is uh, calling out um, to God's people. And as most of the prophets were doing, he's calling them to repent and to turn around. And he's in the middle of this prophecy about the, these different nations that would come and oppress the people of Israel. They would come and destroy them. And then they would, uh, they would be raised up a little bit more and they'd get destroyed again. Listen to Daniel 7 and how he talks about these different oppressing nations. He calls them beasts. He says there will be four beasts that come out of the sea. The first beast was like a lion. And behold, another beast, a second one, was like a bear. After this, I looked, and behold, another beast was like a leopard. And after this, behold, a fourth beast even, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and it had ten horns. Y'all, when John looks and sees this beast. It's not new. He's seeing something that has been seen before. And he's writing these different churches in the first century who are being persecuted. And he's saying, heads up. There are going to be all kinds of powers and authorities that come and try to take you over and that do war against you. Look, all basically all biblical scholars and commentators, when they get to Daniel 7... They recognize that these different beasts are actually socio-political government entities. And they will try to crush God's people. And the beast here in Revelation is a composite of all those different beasts from Daniel 7. So what does that mean? It means that this is a picture of a state that is ungodly. It is a picture of a government or an individual, a leader, any sort of socio political empire that seeks to oppress God and his people. It is the picture of a political force that claims to be the way, it claims to have all the answers. It claims to be sovereign and powerful. And it claims to be the, the way that you should go, the Savior. It claims to be the answer to all of your problems. Does that sound like any governments we've ever seen? In, in America, not, not quite to the degree um, that certainly other nations have seen. This is the force behind every dictator. This is the force behind every sort of uh, familial a dynasty that's risen that raises up and says, "Follow us, and we will take care of you." Friends, John is warning them against the counterfeit God. In verses one and three, we see that this beast has numerous horns. This represents power. We've talked about that already, It not just has horns, it has a mortal wound. In in Greek, and I don't normally do all this kind of stuff, but in Greek, that that phrase that it uses is this. It says that he had a wound as slain. He had a wound as slain. Now, we have to ask, where have I heard that language before? Revelation chapter 5. Jesus was pictured as the lamb who had a wound as if slain. He also, that lamb, had horns. So what is this beast trying to do? He's trying to mimic Jesus, the Savior of the world. Well, how else do we know it? Right there in verse 1 again. He had ten diadems, on his, uh, on his, uh, 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. What's going on here? In Revelation chapter 19, we haven't gotten there yet. But in Revelation 19, we see a picture of Jesus riding a horse triumphantly. And he's got diadems on his head and he has names written on his legs. The names of his people. Friends, right here, this beast is saying, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a conqueror. I want to be the one who's victorious. And he's not. Another thing we see is verse four. See what's happening. The dragon from chapter 12 had given authority to the beast here, just as God gives authority to Jesus when he enters the earth. Jesus does things in the name of God. He has all sorts of powers. He can do miracles. He heals people. He walks on water. He is powerful. And this beast has been given power from the dragon. And what is he after? He's after worship. Look at there at verse 4. He wants the worship. Just like God. Except unlike God, the beast isn't worthy of the worship. The dragon's not worthy, but God is. He's a counterfeit. So who is this beast? Who actually is this in real space and time? Lots of, different, lots of different governments. Lots of different leaders. Certainly in the first century, it was very easy to see how Rome, the Roman Empire, was a manifestation of this beast. Think about it. At the end of the first century, to which John is writing, um, Domitian... Emperor Domitian was in power, and Domitian was just wholesale slaughtering Christians. He just was. They posed a threat to his government, and so he slaughtered them. They would not say, Caesar is Lord. They said, Jesus is Lord, and he said, you die. Everyone who wants to live in my kingdom professes me as Lord, or you die. So was Rome part of this beast? Sure. But, friends, as I said earlier, This beast is any sort of socio-political government that that claims to have the answers, that claims to be the way. When, When a human institution elevates its power and claims to be God in some fashion, it becomes inhumane. It ceases to be human. It becomes demonic. It becomes bestial. This is what is happening here in this first beast. The second beast... Now, we're going to talk about the implications of that in just a second. Let me talk about the second beast uh, first so we can make sense of it. The second one shows up in verses 11 through 18. Um, and if what I've been saying is true, if the dragon is God the Father, if the first beast is God the Son, is Jesus, is trying to manifest himself as that, then the third beast, then obviously, is God the Holy Spirit. How do we, how, how do we, how do we see that here? We see that the, Holy, the, the real Holy Spirit... The true God, the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, exists not to draw attention to himself, but to magnify what God the Father and God the Son have done. He seeks to apply the work of salvation to people's lives and their hearts. What do we see about this? To put it in language we're familiar with, the beast here, the second beast, exists as the PR department for the first beast and for the dragon. He exists to make their name great. In a a way very similar to what the Holy Spirit does. This is exactly what we see. Verse 11. Let's look at it. He has horns also. This beast is powerful. It's powerful also. It can do stuff. It can deceive us. It can trick us. It can get us. And what does it do with its power? Look right there in verse 11. It speaks. It speaks powerfully. It's captivating. It's a prophet. It's a false prophet, but it's a prophet. It's trying to lure people in. Um, it's a PR department. It wants to get. It tries to get you to buy in. But to do what? What is it trying to get you to do? Verse twelve: to worship. It exercises all the authority of the first beast. It says in verse twelve, in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. It's a counterfeit operation. There's more. Verse 13, 14, it does great signs and wonders, causing people to be drawn in and attracted to it. Look, is that not what the Holy Spirit does? You read in the early church, people are doing amazing things. Jesus sends out the disciples and they're out They're They're doing miracles in his name and they come back to him and they say, Lord, we can't believe it. We were doing things in your name and and, and the demons were listening to us. And here is the second beast, and he's doing amazing signs and wonders. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's trying to be the Holy Spirit, and he's got a lot of power. He's got the horns. He can do it. Verse 16, 17. This gets scary. Right? It says that he puts a mark on people. Now, it's less scary if you've already read Revelation 7, because what do we see in Revelation 7? That God actually puts a mark on his people. He seals his people. And we talked about that seal being the Holy Spirit. It's not a physical seal. It's not like you actually have something on your forehead. It's an inward seal. He sends his Holy Spirit into his people. And the Holy Spirit keeps us. He protects us. And here's this counterfeit beast, this counterfeit God showing up and putting a mark on all those who don't have the other mark. So is it a physical right hand mark or a forehead mark or whatever? No. Remember, the book of Revelation is giving us pictures. It's giving us images. It's saying it's going to be obvious, though, who these people are. You're going to know it's an inward mark that's going to manifest itself in an outward reality. Just like the Holy Spirit. You you can't see the Holy Spirit inside of someone, but you see its effect. You see how it moves people to love others and to do things at great cost to themselves. You see that. This is a counterfeit God. So so the the real question is, what does the 666 mean? If it's not an actual tattoo or a mark or something like that, what is it? Um, There's been lots, lots, lots of attempts to explain this and try to get at what what this number is. And a lot of those attempts utilize this. Um, Assyrio-Babylonian Greek numerical system called Gematria. Gematria Gematria. And, and what that does is it, it's a numerical thing that assigns... Uh, sorry, it's a system that assigns numerical values to a word or to letters or to a name or a phrase in a belief that those names then correspond to something in reality. Okay? So, uh, for instance... Um, In the first century, if you took Caesar Nero, Nero was the emperor in uh, mid-60s in Rome, he committed suicide at age 32, Um, but if you took the name Caesar Nero and you took it from Greek and then you translated it into Latin, and then if you went from Latin to Hebrew, right, catching on the steps, and then you add up, do the gematria thing and assign the numbers to that name, it becomes 666, The problem is, there's been a lot, or the reality is—I guess maybe be a problem. The reality is there've been a lot of people who, over time, if their, nam- if their names are translated into Hebrew and those numbers are added up, there's a lot of 666's 66s out there. Right? Some people thought Ronald Reagan was six-six-six because um, every Ronald had six letters, Reagan had six letters. His middle name was Wilson, had six letters. Um, Nero. There've been all sorts of other emperors and leaders, y'all. It can be really endless. Right? And the speculation is really counterproductive at some level. Because like are all these people Satan incarnate? That's not the point. The point is this. Is that 666. Whoever has that. Is trying to deceive. Now what does it even mean? The number 6. Is not quite seven. Throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen lots of sevens. Seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven this, seven that. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion. God made the earth in seven days. This seven happens. That seven happens. It's all over the place. And so the six, it gets close to the seven. It really tries to imitate it, but it doesn't quite get there. And then you have three of these sixes. What does that mean? Well, three in the book of Revelation, when God gets, uh, when He's worshipped, He's worshipped three times holy. Holy, holy, holy. God is a trinity. There's three members in the trinity. And so this beast also in the dragon, the two beasts and the dragon, they have three people to them also. But the seven, they're not quite there. They're not quite God. Uh, one scholar said it like this, that This beast is is the complete incompletion. That he is completely incomplete. He's, He's powerful. He gets close, but he is not God. He tries to do what only God can do. He tries to be what only God can be. He promises to deliver on what only God can deliver on. He's a counterfeit God. That's what counterfeits do. They promise to be the real thing, but they come up short. But it gets really close. This beast has horns. It has power. It controls wealth. It's got the diadems. It is a real being, and it's a real force in our world. Counterfeit, this counterfeit God represents human power at its zenith, at its apex. And is that not true of what we see about governments and institutions throughout the history of the world. That of anything in the world, political forces exert some of the most demanding and torturous obedience from their subjects. And they instill it on other people. So the question is we're about to go application from here on out. So if you fall asleep, come to cheer back up. Why does this matter? Like, what in the world does this have to do with us? How, how would we be drawn in by the beast? Last year, someone sent me an article or a YouTube video, I can't remember which one it was, um, about Target, you know, Target, the store. And um, the whole video, I think it was a video, it was about those stupid dollar bins at the front of the store, right? You know what I'm talking about. All the girls are like, Yes. <laughs> Those pins are amazing. Um, if you've never seen any dollar bins, right when you walk into Target, there's just like two little rows right there, and there's probably a hundred or two hundred items that are a dollar. Right there's little tin buckets that have cute wrapping on them. There's pins. There's half size candy. There's like all kinds of stuff, and it's just a dollar. And it's amazing. And you walk in, and it's like, well, Target, thank you. Like you're doing such a favor, giving us all this stuff for a dollar. This is awesome. And so you just like throw it in your bag and you don't really think about it because it's just a dollar. Well, then you go to finish your shopping and all that stuff. And you really do think, like, Target has done me a favor. They have put this on sale for me. If this stuff's this cheap, I just assume the rest of the store is a good deal too. And all the research confirms that you just got had. <laughs> because people who shop the dollar bins spend on average 40% more than the people who don't. So look, y'all, it's a lot less about the stuff in those bins, and it's a lot more about the dopamine in your mind that gets triggered when you think you got a deal. That is a, that is a true truth. Because when you get excited about having just gotten this deal, you go buy lots more deals out there in the store. It's stuff that's full price. Or that clearance rack with those little red tags. Eh, it's still marked up about 400%. Sorry. <laughs> They're good at it. They hired a PR firm, marketing firm, to come do this for them, and they're killing it. How do we get had? Well, if if the beast is Satan's PR department, then he's pretty good at it. He's pretty good at it because um, Satan knows that every single person in the world is controlled by a set of of, of desires that transcends cultures it transcends race nationality socioeconomic it transcends everything and they are these you want to be safe and secure yep you want to have enough right not too much We don't need to be rich i just want to have enough i want to be comfortable i want to have plenty yep how about this um you want, to be, uh, you want to have an opportunity for yourself and, and for your kids too? You want to be able to at least have a shot at making it? Yeah, that's what I want. That's what you want. That's what the 13-year-old in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia wants. They just want to have a shot. That's what the 62-year-old in China wants. They just want, they want a chance for their life to not end terribly. You want to be okay? You just... You want a good life? Of course you do. And friends, what government in the history of the world doesn't promise those things? There has not been one. So am I saying, then, therefore, that all governments are evil? No. No. I'm not saying saying that because, look, if you look at those things, they're not bad things. We have to believe that, that in all governments, there are people working in there that want the good of the nation, that want people to flourish, that want societies to advance, that want people to have a shot. But when a government claims to do what only God can do, it has taken on a beastly form. When a government promises to be the source of your ultimate destiny and happiness, to provide all of your hopes and dreams, and to deliver on those, when a government or a person or a leader or a dictator or whoever says, follow me, give me all of your whole allegiance, and I will give you life, I'll give you joy, I'll give you opportunity, I'll give you success, then friends, that government is posing as the beast, and to the degree that our hopes and dreams rise and fall with whoever has been elected or not is to the degree that we are following the beast. Friends, the Republican Party is not Jesus' party. And neither is the Democratic Party. And neither is the Libertarian Party, for those of us in here who are a little bit on the fringe. Think about this for just a sec. People on the conservative end are lured into worshiping the beast through offers of safety and security. It sounds like this. See if this sounds familiar. Um, We'll have the most powerful army. We'll have the best police force and the biggest police force. We'll crack down on crime at a local level. We'll bring in all the drug traffickers and we'll give them maximum sentences. We'll cut taxes. We'll let you have a say over what you want to do with your money. Okay? Standard conservative um, platform. Democratic people can be tempted to worship the beast in this way. Um, sorry, my mouth just dried up. <clears throat> All right, we're back. Um, they offer this. They offer to provide jobs. To provide health care for everyone, to provide um, security, to provide clothing, to provide um, nicer roads and parks, uh, to fix Wall Street when it's corrupt, to care for the poor. The progressive end of the spectrum offers to provide. The conservative end of the spectrum tends to offer offer, uh, safety and security. Are these bad things? No. There are a lot of good things in this list. Lots of them. But friends, if you're buying in to a political party or to a person or to an ideology which says, give me your life and I'll deliver you, you've been had. Like Target, you've been had. You're worshiping the beast. So the point isn't what is 666. It is in what way are you being lured in by it? How is it counterfeit? Where am I buying into that lie? And not into the Lord. Where are we doing it? Well, we have to see the true. if We're ever going to know the false, right? In order to know the counterfeit, you have to touch the real. You have to get to know it. So where is the real in this passage? Verse 8 and 9. Look at it with me. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken, taken captive, to captivity he goes If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. If anyone has an ear, what are you saying, John? Well, it's not John saying it, it's Jesus. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus shows up and He talks to the churches and He's encouraging them and rebuking them and He says this seven times. He says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear this. Listen to me. And so what is Jesus saying right here? He's saying this. It's going to hurt if you follow me. It's going to hurt. You're going to have to go into captivity. It's going to feel like death. You're going to feel like um, Satan in in your flesh and the world is pressing in on you. It's going to feel like you're being slain. He's saying. It's going to hurt. But let it hurt. He's saying, Go into captivity. Let it hurt. Because he's saying, I'm the true God. And I demand your allegiance. But I'm not just a, a demanding Lord, I'm also the place where the real security and safety is found. It's not found in the government, it's found in me. But you have to follow me. I'm demanding your allegiance. But know that I'm the great provider. There's no political party that can provide like I do, he's saying. I will take care of you. I will deliver you. Look, I can protect and provide in such a way that it will overcome all your fears. What do we fear most? Death. Jesus says, I've overcome death. I was resurrected. I was brought from it. I'll take you with me into life. Y'all, you know, the way to know the false is to know the true. And the true God is saying, you have to follow me. It's going to hurt. You're going to be okay, though. I'm going to lead you into life eternal. I'm going to lead you into a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more tears, and no more sadness, and no more poverty, and no more power struggle, and no more oppression, and no more injustice, and no more sadness, and no more abuse, and no more of all the stuff that we see in the world today that can't be tamed by every any government structure that has ever been founded. Jesus is saying, I am the true God. So how do we get in? How do we follow him? What does that look like? Look, y'all, the people who find all the counterfeit dollars and who bring them out of circulation, it's not the experts. It's not the Secret Service. The majority of counterfeit bills are not taken out of circulation by the Secret Service. Who are they taken out of circulation by? The bankers. The bank tellers. The people who touch it every single day and they're around it so much. They handle so much money in the nature of their work that they can just touch it and know it's not real. How do you overcome? How do you get on that side and not fall prey to the beast? You've got to be around God. You've got to be around His people. You have to immerse yourself in the places where He says that He's going to be. You have to touch Him. You have to get to know Him. You have to take Him in at such a rate that if anything comes along that's not true, you'll know it. You can smell it. You can touch it. You can see that guy can't deliver on what he's telling me. He's just a man. But Jesus can because he's not just a man, he's a true God. And he's worthy of all your worship, he's worthy of all your allegiance. He's the only God who promises to take care of you and who can deliver on that promise. Let's follow him with all that we have. Let's pray.